Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Katherine Ingram. The following podcast is a bit of a departure from our usual offerings. Uh, I was in Los Angeles recently, and I was interviewed by the wonderful performance artist, Jana Tomasas, who conducted our conversation entirely in character as Giselle, a kooky button maker from Hamburg, Germany, uh, the comic star of the Giselle show, which can be found online. Giselle's friend Shira also joined us for a bit in the interview near the end, and I stayed in character as Catherine. Enjoy. So you talk about presence and passionate presence and awakened awareness. Maybe can you just tell us what is that? Well, it's really an experience. And it's one that's quite common and that everyone really knows, but sometimes overlooks or doesn't quite honor in the way that it deserves. But it's really those moments. You might call them like perfect moments, you know, like we all have what just seems like a, a perfect moment whereby you're just being and there's no chatter in your mind about being anywhere else or being anything else, or being somebody else. And you're just immersed in the experience that you're having in a wordless way, even if thoughts are going by, but that you're not, you're not um, dreaming of some other scenario that would be better. You're not thinking about anything like that at all. You're immersed in a wonderment. And so that is something that one can induce more frequently than just going along and hoping that happens. And it does happen enough to people. It does happen a lot, you know. There are moments, you know, maybe it's looking into your lover's eyes or, or your dog is really happy to see you at the end of the day or, or you know, a baby is in front of you. And um, any number of moments that people forget, in a sense, their little self and merge into a much bigger sense of self. And, and those moments, you could say, represent a passionate presence. And the reason I use the word passionate rather than just presence is that it's enlivened. They're enhanced and enlivened, and they sparkle a little bit stronger. You know? mm. So um, that's passionate presence, it's also awakened awareness. It's pretty much the same. They're interchangeable um, in that your, your attention is in a full engagement with life. Yes. Right. You know, when you uh, talk about those moments, I was thinking of things like um, four of us were out to dinner the other night and we were sharing a piece of flourless chocolate cake. <laughs> and it, we're just laughing and eating this delicious cake. And, and I felt that way. I felt like there's just only right now mm. and I'm laughing with my friends. Yeah. And I, I felt so, like you say, just right there. Yeah. And last night I spoke about that that experience is kind of like timeless. Yes. You know, that it's just this mm. sense of timelessness that, you know, you're just in this immersion. Right. And often we look back at those moments in our lives and they pop in our memory in a very different way. Um, the very first time I went to India was in 1976. I went for a year. 
That year has the most bizarre position in my memory. That one year in 1976, it's like I remember almost every day, you know, it's like so strange. How was, was you wearing disco pants? <laughs> no, I was wearing big, big, huge dresses and skirts. Oh, yeah. And we used to have to, um, this is a long time ago and things, let's hope, have changed. But sometimes you were in a circumstance where you literally had to just squat in a field to pee. Oh. And so it was really nice to have a gigantic skirt. <laughs> Yes. Uh, pardon me, everybody, while I help help me undo my disco pants in the field. Yeah, that wouldn't that have worked. That would have been hard. <laughs> so you remember this in a special way? Yeah, and because there was this sense of passionate presence. You know, we were so enlivened by where we were, and we were there to practice uh, meditation. So we were immersed in Dharma um, day and night, mm -hmm. and in a crowd of friends, which mm -hmm. shows, I said last night, the experience of a sense of belonging is one of the great happinesses of life. So, um, yeah, that that... That adventure, it was not just in India, but uh, Thailand and Burma and Sri Lanka. And we went up to Ladakh in India, which was more like Tibet um, in, the, in, in that time. And still, oh, yes, yes, I know, I know. Anyway. So, I don't know. <laughs> but yes. Anyway, yes. <laughs> so anyway, those were, the, those were our, our little stomping grounds. And, um, and just the memories of that, because we were so timeless in our experience mm. each day. The days would just drift from one to the other. Um, of course, it requires a kind of privilege, naturally. We weren't living on much money, but it would have been a king's ransom to anybody there in that culture. Um, you know, we were living simply, but still it took money to be gone for a year. Um, that year was so powerful. And I've had so many people tell me over the years who've done retreats, that they feel that at the end of their lives, what is going to pop in their memory are their times in the retreats. Because, you know, you're slowed down and you're paying such, you know, careful attention just in a relaxed way. You know, you're just noticing. That's the whole sort of transmission of the retreat is to really soak in your own awareness, kind of like I use the word baptized in your own awareness. Mm. Um, and that that even though you're just, you know, looking at some plants or watching a little frog at night or smelling the jasmine in the air or whatever, depending on where you are, um, the, it's, it's going, it's imprinting in memory in a very different way than the kind of careening from one thing to the next to the next that we do in our modern lives. Oh, yeah. We do. And, and, and it, it all becomes kind of a blur. You yeah, find the careening. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm the, the pinball mm -hmm. in the pinball machine mm -hmm. and I'm just being bat from yeah. here to here and yeah. bing, 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 and then I go for extra point and <laughs> you... <laughs> Just gutter ball, whatever they call it, you know, but just being bing, bing all around. I know, I know. And that has become speed and jamming the day with activities and emails and texts and Facebook and Twitter oh, and yeah. all the different things. I mean, remember the days, it wasn't that long ago when you walked into your house and there was nothing to be answered. 
if if someone happened to call while you were out, they had to call back when you were there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it wasn't that long ago. And now I I always have the sense that things are piling up. Even as we sit here, things are piling up, waiting for my attention. I notice you keep checking your phone. (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking. She's not doing it. Wouldn't that be funny? You're talking about be here now and you hold on. I just have to answer this. Just a minute, just a second. So how do we get more of these moments, like you say, more of these timeless moments, more of these moments that pop in our memory? How do we induce it, like you say? Well, first of all, you begin to notice. You begin to notice it. You know, you start to to direct your attention just to that channel, I like to say. You know, it's a quiet channel. You know, and even in this very moment, you know, to you listening and to whoever else is listening, in this very moment, you can just be simply hearing the words and recognizing they're going straight in. If you speak this language, you're cognizing without any effort whatsoever. And 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 that you're you're just here in this wherever you happen to be you can kind of sense the expanse around it in our case we can exp- sense a great expanse because we can see it but even if you're just in a room yeah you can you can sense the fact that your room is floating in big space oh, and so yeah. you begin to realize that you're you know that you here you are this creature with this power of cognition that you can move your attention around and often people, you know, due to conditioning, their attention is essentially locked in a tiny closet with a bunch of thoughts that are screaming in their head. And this doesn't have to be your experience of this life, even though thoughts do run on their own. But you don't have to have the sense that you're locked in your head with them, you know, that in fact they're actually just disappearing into open space like, so much else like any other group of electrical impulses so um once you begin to experience that directly and get a taste for it then it becomes like i said last night a haunting because you don't really want to be locked in the old neurotic closet anymore right you'd like to be out and about (laughs) (laughs) i would i would like to (laughs) Strolling down the avenue of freedom in my disco pants. Yes. <laughs> that would suit you, Giselle. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> anyway, so um, um, you basically um, then start to fall in love. This haunting starts to fall in, just like any other kind of falling in love. There's a haunting and then there's this falling in love whereby you just don't really want to be anywhere else. It's a holy yearning, my teacher used to call it. A holy yearning. A holy yearning. Yeah, it's like a a yearning for your sweet spot, especially if you've tasted it, which we all have. It's just the the importance is to recognize the beauty of that and to have a light intention to return to it as frequently as you can. And as I said last night, don't have an expectation of yourself that you need to have a steady state in this. You don't. Oh. You don't have to have a steady state in that. You can leave a little room for being crazy sometimes and (laughs) being annoyed or being depressed. You know, those arise. That's part of being human. But when the haunting is there, you realize, I don't really want to be angry half the day. 
right? I don't want to be depressed half the day. I don't want to be grumbling about this or that or worried about the future, you know, half the day. If thoughts arise here and there is one thing, but, you know, to not really immerse in those thoughts and be highly interested in having many more of them. Yeah. <laughs> so um, this love affair begins to decondition the tendencies of the neurotic habits and recondition the awareness into what I call conditioned in freedom. Okay, we have to sit with that and just repeat it. The, the love affair, the haunting, falling in love with that feeling of um, timeless, vast, spacious being present in the flow. Yeah. Falling in love with that feeling, uh, we put our attention with... <laughs> I got all lost. I got jumbled up again. <laughs> we we decondition so we can recondition. Kind of, yeah. It happens simultaneously, really. Oh, yeah. You know, that we put our attention more and more on the thing we're falling in love with, the nice feeling. Mm -hmm. Just put our attention on it yeah. and naturally less and less put our attention on how we're so mad that this guy put his trash in our yard or yeah. this guy do this or do that. Or, mm, I can't get my cat to behave or whatever is yeah. making us upset for the day. Absolutely. It's a kind of, it's a form of mind management, basically. Oh. You know, you start to realize, okay, uh, you know, you come out and, and someone has put their trash in your bin. So, um, and it isn't fair. A grant, you. <laughs> that seemed like such a silly thing to... I'm not upset about it. It was just a thing that yeah. came to my mind. No, but, it, but those are the kinds of things, really, that are part of living in, you know, in this world, that there are people who take advantage of other people and who are happy to take more than their share and all of those kinds of things, and it's annoying, mm. um, you know. But then your question is, um, in Tibetan Buddhism, they speak about this as twice bidden, so first is the annoyance, the, the act that, you know... That annoys that, you. That annoys you. But then your own mulling over it, over it and over it and over it. It's like being twice bitten by the snake, you know? It is like that. And it's like the first bite is just a bite. Yeah. A little fang go yeah, in yeah. and it hurt yeah. and it sting. The second bite is the poison. Is the poison. <gasps> exactly. Coursing through your system. Yes. Yeah. You're right. I have had this experience. <laughs> yes, I have too. <laughs> you know, I get some something upset me. I'm trying to think of examples, but none is coming to mind right now because I'm just so happy to be here no. with you. So it's hard to uh, access my anger <laughs> when I'm here with you. But like something little annoying thing will happen. But yeah, it's the mulling it over and reliving it that is the real poison for me. And you is right. Yeah, yeah. No, that is that is the part that you can actually mitigate. You can actually move your attention. Move my attention. Uh, because the initial reaction is normal, honestly, you know, we're all somewhere on a spectrum as to how much we react to these kinds of things, you know, that is to be expected. But then it's a matter of what do you do with that? How much do you want to keep suffering it, you know? Mm. And instead, if I, if it so happens that I decide I don't want to keep suffering, yeah. <laughs> then uh, I just... Re 
return to putting my attention on what now? The vastness, the, the ease of being, <gasps> and and you can always go to your um your direct experience of your physical you know moment. Like you can put your attention on simply seeing, right? Yeah. Just seeing, or hearing, or smelling something, breathing, breathing. I like absolutely, to breathe. you're always breathing, um, and. If any, if all of that is not cutting through the strong emotion or reaction, then another trick is to put your attention into gratitude. Ah, oh, yes. Not gratitude about the um, infraction against you, but rather gratitude about all that you love of your life. So you can even start with gratitude for being able to see, gratitude being for being able to hear. Isn't it amazing that we go along? And we, we don't even think about those things, right? But if anything is challenged or anything is suddenly broken or not working properly, there's suddenly this keen awareness on that problem and a, and a wish and a hope that it could get handled. But isn't it also interesting that, you know, you get the tooth fixed and you no longer have the toothache. Yeah. And then you go along and you forget about it ever having had a toothache, you forget about how grateful you feel for the fact that it's gone. Yes. You know, so this is a counter to all of that, to actually bump up your sense of gratitude, especially when you're feeling low or feeling agitated or depressed. Yeah, I see that when I'm then driving in my car and if somebody cut me off mm-hmm. and make me angry, and mm-hmm. I, it make me so angry, then I'll, I'm in my anger and I can go, oh, okay, well, I'm thankful for my cats and for Helmut <laughs> and I have my health and my tooth don't hurt. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I like to keep it very much, you know, contained in the direct experience one is having rather than it being too theoretical out there. Oh, you know? I see. But, you know, but I think, yes, you can, those all sounded good. Oh, okay. um, but you can pick your own. And and people do gratitude practices, you know, they'll they'll... I know someone who for many years now, she and her long time ago college roommate, they either call or email every day just some line of gratitude of their day, some simple little line. And it it forces your attention into which what are you going to pick for your little choice of the day? Yes, and this is kind of like what you say last night about the two wolves that live yeah. inside. Mm-hmm. Will you tell that again? Mm-hmm. Uh, a uh, a young Indo- Indian boy says to his grandfather, Grandfather, there are two wolves who live inside of me. One is very docile and calm and generous and kind and loving. And the other is vicious and hateful and dangerous. And these are at war in me. These two wolves are fighting inside of me. Which do you think is going to win, grandfather? And the grandfather says, the one that you feed. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So we can feed the good, the docile, nice one by giving it our attention. Yes, exactly. Right. Right. And so, of course, I'm not speaking about letting people, you know, abuse you or having to constantly turn the other cheek if you're around dangerous people. Uh, it's fair enough to just get away from them as fast as can as you can, um, and I'm also not a pr- big proponent of having to generate love for 
everyone. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I'm certainly not saying be unkind, definitely not. But I think sometimes it's just unrealistic to have to be generating love for people who are behaving really in reprehensible ways and are dangerous and are cruel and are doing terrible things. One can feel sorry for them um, to some degree. You know, you can feel compassion and know that, uh, you know, they're broken inside. But to have to actually then generate love for them is like an extra step that I used to try to make myself do and that is not realistic for me. If, mm. if, if someone else can, well and good, you know. <laughs> That's really interesting that you're letting yourself and consequently me <laughs> off the hook. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just the other thing that I've been thinking a lot about in recent time is just being really authentically true in your own case, like just to yourself, being authentically true. And it may not look spiritually correct, you ah. know, but it's it's a form of freedom. And I think that if there is a combination of this love of quietness and of the quiet of the heart, let's call it, is another way to come at this. Because sometimes passionate presence may seem a little bit um, energetic, but there's also a kind of quiet that is part of it as well. Um, and if that is your experience in life, then you can pretty well trust that you're not going to go out trying to harm anyone or trying to seek revenge or trying to do anything. Well, give it time. <laughs> The day is young. I don't know. Who can we, who can we get revenge on? <laughs> no, I know what you, you know mean. You know what I mean. <laughs> yes. So, you know, you can kind of trust your own good nature when you're in this quiet. As I said last night, uh, there is a natural ten tenderness that comes with this seeing. It just comes automatically. Yeah. So, um, that said then you can be really authentic. And there are some things you want to move away from, some things you just don't approve of, some things you don't want to uh, support in any way. Yeah. And some things you may work really hard to stop, you know. Um, but it's possible to do that without intense hatred in one's heart. Oh, you know? yes, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, as you talk about putting awareness onto this quietness of the heart, onto this awakened awareness, this passionate presence, you were saying last night that it's not a matter of stopping your life and just sitting in lotus position mm. while you explore your quiet heart. You still can be involved in your life and in your world and having goals even, activities, um, passions that you want to pursue. Mm -hmm. But there's a way to do it with this awareness of your quiet heart and yeah. with this freedom yes. of being, yes. ease of being. Yeah. And as I was saying last night, from that quietness of heart, sometimes one's um, motivation really changes. Right. Oh, yes. Remember we were talking about that. Say that again. Yeah, uh, well, you know, again. sometimes, you know, um, one might have goals and feel very driven toward those goals for reasons that are, um, let's just for shorthand say, ego-based. You know? Well, let us say for my case, when I wanted to be a world-famous pattern designer, 
I will admit that a big part of that, uh, yes, I love to design buttons, but a big part of it was, oh, everybody going to love me because I'm so great and my buttons is the best in the whole world, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I, I do see now that there was some, what do you say, ego? Yeah, I was using that as a shorthand. But yes, that kind of wanting to be somebody. And sometimes that goes along with wanting to be above others. Yeah, my buttons is better than everybody's and it's important for the world to know I'm the best. Yeah, all that, you know. So um, then from the quietness of the heart, the motivation shifts. It, It goes from getting something to giving things away. In other words, you're giving away, your creativity is motivated and rising from you're wanting to just, I like to say, you just want to be good compost for having been here, you know. Yes. You know? Giving it away. Yeah. Um, so I had a question. Uh, last night, one of my friends had read a quote from somebody who's really big in the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. And she had said that ego is the enemy of effective organizing. And I'm really interested in the intersection of spirituality and activism and having, you know, a conversation between these two communities, because a lot of the time I feel in the spiritual communities that I'm a part of, there's a deep immersion in the self, but then a lack of actually putting that self into action, into collective action. And then in the activist spheres that I'm a part of, there's a lot of burnout. Yeah. So I guess my question is, if ego is the enemy of effective organizing, what are some tangible ways that people who are out in the protests, in you know, who are being directly affected by so much oppression, who don't have as much privilege as you and I do, um, tangible ways for them to connect back in to cultivate this passionate presence um, in these really high-stress situations? Right. Yes, I, I've seen that too over the many, many years, and just. Kind of ironically, your your moment in your own journey is so similar to mine at around probably your age. I also felt being immersed in sort of a Dharma world and also then becoming um, a sort of a consciousness journalist. I really was deeply interested in this merger between spirituality and activism. And my first book is called In the Footsteps of Gandhi, and it is actually all about that. It's a collection of interviews with people that I felt represented the that blend the best, that I, at least the best that I could get hold of. I've got to read this book. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's interviews with the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu and Thich Nhat Hanh and John Baez and a whole bunch of people who represent that confluence of spirituality and activism. Mm -hmm. And the 12 that I picked for my book were actually just part of a much larger group of people I interviewed over 12 years. Um, What I found is that those people were all motivated by love. Mm. They were motivated because of the love of their communities. Um, They... Like with Cesar Chavez, for instance, do you know who he is? Of course. Yeah. So um, I'm sitting at his kitchen table and he's saying to me, and the most humble house, I mean, you know, tiny little place, like three rooms or four rooms maybe, a little formica table, you know, and he began the farm workers movement Mm -hmm. at that table because they were all working in the fields and being mistreated. And they began to talk about it around his table and 
began to think about how can we how can we come together and try to figure out some way to handle this and it was incredibly dangerous and and you know the history of that whole thing is there's a lot of brutality um as with many movements mm-hmm. that that go up against that speak truth to power so anyway what i began to realize with him and all the ones i was with over the years is he was just motivated by love by love for his people, by a sense of justice. And having that as your touchstone goes a long way to giving you a lot of strength and energy to Mm -hmm. keep going. It's love of your community, love of your people. Um, But I think it's also very important. And each of the people I interviewed had a kind of spiritual life. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's very important to have some kind of, it can't just be ideology. You know, as you say, people just burn out on anger, essentially. Anger is exhausting. You know, it has to be grounded in some connection that is greater than oneself or something that allows the system to relax and quiet itself. Mm -hmm. Because that helps to humble the ego or expose it. Um, Yeah, that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you specifically about your perspective as it pertains to making artwork and creativity. I love, love, love what you say about it goes from getting something from making art or from the world to giving something away. Yeah, giving something back to the world, yeah. Do you know, that feel like, such a beautiful truth to come back to because I was going to have all these questions of, well, what do you do when you have writer's block? (laughs) And, you know, for people who are writers, or what do you do when you get a bad review, all this and all that. But if you're just coming from giving something away, Uh that automatically matter less and less. Reviews, writer block... Yeah. Because you just say, okay, what can I give away today? What yeah. feels like it would be fun? What do I have right now to give away? Yeah, absolutely. And haven't you had the experience? I know I have. And apparently there's a lot of um, neuroscience that backs this up, that for many people, not all, their happy chemicals of their brain spike higher when they're giving a gift than when yes. they're receiving one, even though receiving is nice as well. But there's this intense dopamine rush that happens yes, yes. <laughs> when you're giving something do you know um last week or, or back on the podcast i was talking about how i noticed when there is a bad event in the world like an earthquake uh-huh. or a flood or shootings or this and that and people come out to help yeah and everybody's helping dig or clean up the rubble or transport victims or whatever everybody's just helping there is a light in the eyes of oh, the helpers. Yes, that's There is a joy yes. that they have. And it's not like a joy because of the trauma. No, everybody's sad and freaked out. But I think the joy is because they are able to give. Yes. They have an opportunity to give, to share, to be part of a community. Yes. You can see it in their eyes. If you ever look at the footage after an earthquake of people who are helping, look at their eyes. Yeah. They're thrilled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a joy. Yeah. That's what that is, yeah? Yes, definitely. So I like the idea of 
that we can have this joy even without the earthquake or the shooting. So yes. that big, bad event. Yeah, you can start to tune to that channel uh, again, whereby you find little things to do for people, little small things, yes. you know. Um, and it's so pleasurable. It's an open secret. Service is an incredibly, you know, direct path for well-being. Oh, yes. You know. Yeah. I had a question. In the process of giving, you know, there is also that element of receiving and how actually the receiving element is really difficult and it actually blocks this flow of reciprocity. If we even think about it in terms of compliments, when I get a compliment from somebody, it's so hard for me to receive that compliment. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a yoga teacher and I and if somebody tells me like, oh, your class was so amazing, I'm like, they're just saying that. But then if somebody came up to me and was like, your class was awful, I'd be like... <laughs> so wrecked and I really believe that they were thought it was an awful class mm-hmm. and um, yeah I'm wondering how to deal with that kind of situation right yeah well in the case of someone giving you the positive feedback if you can for the moment step out of the way and realize that that this is pleasurable for the person to tell you mm. right that this is something that they're trying to connect with you and express their gratitude, just as you might do that for someone you feel grateful to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you you don't want to deprive them of that of that lovely mm-hmm. moment. You want to be able to graciously let them have that mm-hmm. lovely moment with you. And why I say step out of the way is that I'm sure you probably already have experienced this enough as in a teaching role. It starts to feel very impersonal. You know, you start to feel that you're granted a gift of being a a good yoga teacher. You're granted that gift and you're offering that gift, but there's some way in which you can't really take ownership. Mm -hmm. So you start to sense that you can't take ownership of the praise and you can't really take ownership of the blame either. Mm -hmm. You know, that people have their own agendas. So it's a a kind of entrainment in... um, a very impersonal way of being in the teacher role. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's very necessary because all kinds of stuff comes at you. If, you're, if you start taking ownership of any of it, mm-hmm. especially the praise, um, <laughs> you know, that can yeah. get dangerous. For me, like acting on behalf of the divine and, and, and stepping outside that bigger self that you talked about as, as opposed to that little self um, and working from that place definitely yeah. helps to not take on any of the compliments or any of the negative feedback yeah. that I may yeah. receive. And you'll probably get better and better at that as it goes. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you have said in the past the nature of thoughts, you know, that thoughts is non-sticking and we can just let them come and go. Because I have had the experience of really getting caught up by my thoughts, swept away from present awareness. Mm -hmm. And like you say, oh, trapped in a little closet (laughs) mid our neurotic thoughts. Yes. So what is thought? And how can, how can we use our thoughts? Some of them we need to use. Yes, of course. Some of them are highly functional, some are relational, some are insightful, creative, all of those things. Now, as I said last night, most of them are spam. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's right. That's I right. mean, you know, most of it is spam, but, but some of it is, you know, pretty, pretty good. 
Um, and you get, again, from the quiet of the heart, you get very discerning about which ones you're going to pay attention to, which ones have to be dealt with, which ones are useful, and which ones you can just ignore as nonsense. And the good thing is you don't have to fight the thought. Not at all. You just, it goes away on its own. Totally on its own. You can't make one stay. <gasps> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you don't have to do anything. No. Just And then the, discern, the discernment increases with the experiment that you're making. It just gets better and better. Of discerning what thoughts to pay attention to, yeah. what thoughts to mm, just let it go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you kind of know which ones are going to go down a dark alley. You know, and oh yeah, that's with, right. some, <laughs> with some nefarious characters waiting there to beat you up, um, and others that uh, are either neutral or or lead into a kind of brightness. You know, oh yeah, um, and you just get very, you know, in a very relaxed way, you get better and better at noticing which is which, and mm. you know, again, this is mind management. You know, mind management, yeah. and it just starts with noticing. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Noticing, exactly. And and a little bit of the directing of the attention. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know. Noticing and directing attention. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, initially, you have this intentionality that directs the attention back to... We're not talking about going somewhere else. We're talking about back to reality, right? Ah, yes. <laughs> um, so initially, you're intending to come back into reality, into the moment you're actually directly experiencing, you know. Yes. Um, and, um, and then after a point, that becomes the habitual default position. Is just relaxing in the mm -hmm. present moment. Yeah. And then you only need the intentionality when there's a drifting off. But, but then it becomes a very sort of normal. One of the things I love about our week-long week retreats And I highly recommend our Italy retreat. Oh, yes. We're going to have information on the website. Okay. And I give you Catherine's website. These <laughs> retreats are great. Yeah, they, yeah, they're so powerful. And one of the aspects that makes them so powerful is that it normalizes all that we're talking about. Ah. You know, that you, you see how easy it can be to just, you know, go through the day in present awareness. You show up at the meals, you show up at the, the hall for the sittings and the dialogues and the yoga if you want. You know, you're not just laying about in a cave. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but the point is you're, you're moving through space, you're eating, you're, you know, whatever, reading in this awareness that becomes easier and easier to just more or less stay in. Oh, yeah. And that gives a great confidence that you could actually live like that. You could live your life like that. Back in your regular Back life, your regular with life. your job yes. and your relationships. Yes, exactly. And even though it's a little more challenging back in the workaday world and it's going a lot faster and all of that, you have that touchstone mm. and you're able to return to it fairly easily yes. you know, and, and frequently. Yes. Um, and you can also then create little mini immersions for yourself, you know. Mini immersions, moments where you have actual quiet to yeah. help bring yourself back to the quietness of right, heart. Or day here or there, you know, or, you know, take a weekend off and do something incredibly relaxing. Uh, so, yes, that kind of immersion. Yeah. 
Catherine, thank you so much for sharing your beautiful perspective with us. Thank you so much. Shira, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. It's such an honor to be here in both of your presence. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This has been In the Deep. If you'd like to know more about my work, book a private session by phone or Skype, or make a tax-deductible donation in support of these podcasts, which would really help as it takes quite a lot of time and expense to produce them every week, please visit katherineingram.com. Till next time. Mm-hmm.